Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. Uh, whether you're live or whether you're live stream, I'm Talbot Davis, the pastor here. Always, always, every time we gather Easter Sunday or any of the other Sundays of the year, I'm so glad to be able to connect with you. And this is the final message in this series called Learning Curve, where we've been all about becoming apprentices of Jesus. And today's message is called Live and Learn. And if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to, to turn in your Bible to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. Kind of an odd place to speak from on an Easter Sunday until it's not an odd place to speak from on Easter Sunday. And I hope all that will make sense. And if your Bible's not here with you, it's okay. The words are going to be up on the screen as they are every time that we gather just at the right uh, at the right time, and and you're you're actually there's there's coming. I I, I you're going to get just a little bit too excited. There's coming a time in a few minutes when you're going to help me read, and and so I just I, I don't want you to get too excited before that happens. But I do want to let you know it's coming. We love for you all to see the Bible for yourself on a Sunday morning because we believe we have some treasured beliefs about the Bible at Good Shepherd, and and one of those things is is this fact that a lot of people don't know, and, and it's this, that this is not a book, it's a library. It's a collection of a lot of books written by a lot of authors over a, an enormous span of time and in many, many different styles. And the book of Revelation is really kind of its own style altogether as it gives us a, a window into what the early church was going through and also a little glimpse of what the end of everything is going to be like. And that's just a fact that, that you may not have known about not book is library. The second thing that we believe about the Bible is a, is a treasured conviction that you may not share, or you may be so glad that we share it and state it, but it's this, that in leadership here, we believe there's no other library like this. When God breathed his life into its words, he put his truth onto its pages. We believe the Bible is inspired and eternal and true and we love the scriptures at this church because we believe the scriptures can help people adore the Savior. But out of all those beliefs that we have and, and its inspiration and truthfulness and eternity, we do kind of something unusual when we're talking about the Bible at this church, and we lift it up. And, and uh, if you've never been here before and you're looking around and you never tuned in before and there's mostly phones in the air because this is 2022 and not 1992, but... But there's phones and Bibles and stuff in the air. And you're like, That's a, this is just a little bit odd. You know, we say, yeah, it is odd. And we know it's odd. But we've discovered it's worth it to be odd. Because this is a moment of oddity. that shapes our identity as a community. We're a collection of people joyfully surrendered to the authority of the word and ready for its power to be let loose in our lives. Amen? And before I say another word, Let's pray. Pray with me. Pray for me. So, Father, thank you for the, the truth and the goodness and the beauty of your word. And, and I, I as, as I get ready to give an Easter message, I am so glad to be able to say, I am powerless without you. But because of you, I'm not helpless. So fill me from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, I want to I start out my Easter message by telling you something a, a, about my favorite subject, which is me, telling you something 
uh, about me that may make you think, well, that guy, there is no way he's going to go to heaven when he dies. Or, or if you think that I might make it to heaven when I die, you'll, you'll just think, but he's not a very good Christian until he gets there. So are you ready for me to tell you this thing that's going to make you have all kinds of doubts about me? And, it, and it's this, and it's, it's a throwback to something 15, 20 years ago, but here it is. I really, 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 I did not like, kind of hate it. I did not like those old WWJD bracelets. See, I told you I'm on the highway to hell, right? And, and yeah, those, those old what would Jesus do bracelets is such a good thing, isn't it? I mean, like, like most things that, that end up going a little bit south, these bracelets started out with the very best of intentions because you'd put one on and the wearer of said bracelet in whatever circumstance they were encountering, or encountering in life, we're supposed to evaluate the circumstance and then respond exactly as Jesus would in the same situation. Act as Jesus acted, behave as Jesus behaved, perform as Jesus performed. And so when you're younger and you're getting disciplined by your parents, what would Jesus do? When, when you're older and you're getting fired from your job, what would Jesus do? A little bit older, you're posing for your mugshot. <laughs> what would Jesus do? A little bit older, and you're in an airport, and they hand you a mask. What would Jesus do? All, all kinds of situations that, that you just buck up against what you want to do, and you're confronted with what would Jesus do? And yeah. I really didn't like those bracelets even a little bit because like so many things that start out with good intentions, these ended up having some really unintended consequences. Like the guy who while wearing his WWJD bracelet got arrested for shoplifting. What would Jesus do? Grant larceny. But the fact that our Buddhist friends they're not dumb. They, they, they catch it. So they came up with their own bracelets. WW, come on. Yeah, WWBD, what would Buddha do? So yeah, all kinds of unintended consequences from this very noble idea. But the main reason, that the top reason why I had so much frustration with those bracelets is because, because... I'll tell you in a couple of minutes. <laughs> and my problem that I'm going to tell you in a couple, wait, you, you, you got, you're like, you got lots of problems. But the problem I'm going to tell you, a couple of minutes, I think it comes from this section of scripture that we're going to be looking at. Now, I mentioned earlier, we're looking at the book of Revelation today. And, and it might, might occur to some of you, some of you may have no idea, and that's okay. But it may occur to others of you, Revelation is an odd book to preach from on Easter Sunday because most people think it has to do with the, the end times and World War Z and dogs and cats living together and all that stuff. And, and that's a slice of the book of Revelation. But actually, the much more interesting part is the stuff at the very beginning. Because the stuff at the very beginning lets us know that, that John, and, and, and John, we're almost positive, it's the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. 
Only this is about 60 years after those events. So what we're, we're going to look at a scene from John's life that's probably 50 or 60 years after Jesus died and rose again. And, and John is this pastor and he's an author. See, we know he's an author because we have the book of Revelation. He, and he's a prisoner. And, and look at how this particular section opens up because John hears from God in chapter one and verse eight, Revelation chapter one, verse eight. God says to John, I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. I am the alpha and the omega. This is cool because he's saying here at the very beginning, I'm I'm the A and the Z. That's what alpha and omega is in the Greek, Greek alphabet. I'm the A and the Z. I'm the beginning and the end. I am the bookend of everything. I was there at the beginning and I will continue uh, unhindered until I'm there at the end and and tuck that away because it's so cool. And John is such a great author and God is such a good God. We might just hear that concept again. Then it goes on. Verse nine, I, John. You're like, well, how did you know John wrote Revelation? This is how people, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. This is so cool. Because when, when John says, I'm your companion in the suffering, historically, other translations, it, it, is that it's rendered your companion in the tribulation. And it's so funny to me. You hear 20th century, 21st century American Christians and saying, oh, tribulation's coming, tribulation's coming, want to escape the great tribulation. And John's like, been there, done that. Because in John's day, if the Roman government heard you say Jesus is Lord, when the national creed of the Roman government was Caesar is Lord, and they heard you say it, They would put bloody animal skins on your back. They would send you out into an open field, count to 10, and then send a pack of wild dogs after you. Tell me that's not tribulation. John was in it. Now, he hadn't gone through that, of course, because he's still alive. He'd seen a lot of his fellow believers in Jesus die in just that kind of manner. And when he says he was on the island of Patmos, he's there as a prisoner. He's been exiled. And, and Patmos was this barren, windswept, rocky island in the Mediterranean. I mean, it's a lot more like the Falkland Islands down by Argentina than like the Hawaiian Islands. This is no paradise. This was a prison that John is in. And then he keeps on in, in verse 10. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. I was deep in prayer. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And the voice said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, which just lets us know, you may not have known this before. Before the book of Revelation is anything else, it's a letter, it's correspondence to churches. And then he lists seven cities in the ancient world that had churches in them. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So what I'm getting ready to tell you, you put as a letter and you send to all these churches. Then verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. He saw the voice. You don't see voices. 
You hear voices. Some of you hear probably a lot of voices. But John saw voices. And it lets you know that he's in the middle of this experience that kind of defies description. So beyond normal everyday experience. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Then he, then he gets even more descriptive. And, and this is where it's going to get really fun. Good, I mean, you've been having a great time so far, but it's getting ready to be even more fun. You're going to help me read this. Every time I come to the word like, y'all are going to call it. I'm just going to pause and y'all are going to call it out. Okay, you ready? Ready for this? And among the lampstands was someone so good, so much better than 730, like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Now, what is, I mean, is John like the original valley girl here? Like totally, is that, that what's going on? Actually, John is being confronted with someone, this being so beyond normal experience and normal expectation that the best he can do is approximate it. He can't tell us exactly what he was seeing because no one has ever seen anything like this before. He just tells us approximately what he was seeing. It was like this. It was like that. And, and the whole experience for him is so overwhelming. Look at John's response in verse 17, the first part of verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And, and I'm like, you think? You got a guy holding seven stars in his hand and a sword coming out of his mouth and his face is like the sun. Yeah, I'd fall down in, in, in terror and, and near death as, as well. And then the next part of verse 17, look what it says. And then he placed his right hand on me. Such exquisite detail. Not just a hand. His right hand. And he didn't just hold out the right hand. He put his right hand on me to touch me. Such a brilliant writing. And look what happens next. He put his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. There it is again. I told you bookends was coming, alpha and omega. Now he says first and last. So he's the bookend and all bookends. The biblical authors, I don't know if you know this or not, the biblical authors are such geniuses because they've been inspired by such a glorious God. John knows what he's doing and Jesus is in charge of all of it. And look what Jesus starts to say when he begins speaking. And he said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. Verse 18, I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades. I am the living one. Think of all he didn't say. He didn't say I'm the loving one. He didn't say I'm the compassionate one. 
He didn't say, I'm the forgiving one. Now, all those things are true, but of all the words that Jesus could have chosen to describe himself, he chooses to say, I am the living one. And what is the duration of his being the living one? Forever and ever. You see, so often, this is why I wanted to read from Revelation chapter one for you today. Because so often, when we tell the Easter story, we, we see Jesus in the garden, he raises from the dead, and that's awesome, and that's incredible, and that, that literally actually happened. But all too often, we leave Jesus there, in the, in the garden, wandering around. We don't understand his ongoing ministry, his ongoing intervention, his ongoing interruption of our lives. And when I read that in chapter 1, verse 18, I am the living one. It just crystallizes all of my frustration with what would Jesus do? Because those bracelets ask the wrong question. The right question is W-I-J-D. What is Jesus doing right now in your life? and in my life, and in the lives of the people all around you. Why? Here's what I want you to know, because when you understand the Easter story, and when you read it, and sing it, and celebrate it in a community like this, you realize this, who cares what Jesus would do when you can savor what he is doing? That whole notion, well, hypothetically, if Jesus was here, how would he be we don't have to wonder hypothetically if Jesus would. He's here. And so we don't need to wonder what he would do. We instead get to open our eyes and open our ears and we get to savor what he is doing in the here and in the now because what he's done, and man, do not hear what I am not saying. Jesus rose. His body got out of the grave. Never happened before, never happened since. That is the one event that tilts the world's history. That is a hill I will die on at Good Shepherd Church. But that's just the beginning of the story. What he did just paves the way for what he's doing now. His, his visible, physical resurrection is the prelude to his invisible presence in your life and in my life. If, as the saying goes... You can't put the genie back in the bottle? What makes you think we could ever put the body back in the grave? You, you, you can't. Because he, he reigns and, and, and he rules. And yeah, he bothers and he annoys. And I just want you all to be awake to what it is that he's doing. I, I kind of want you to be like the, the two guys walking along a busy street and in, in Manhattan before pandemic, and one was a native of New York, and the other, the other was a rural guy from rural area, and the rural guy, as they're walking down the sidewalk, he says, hey, you hear that cricket? And the New Yorker says, forget about it. No, he didn't really say that. I, I just wanted to say forget about it. The, the, the New Yorker says, how in the world can you hear a cricket with all these people around? And the rural guy answers, you hear what your ears listen for. And he goes over to a bush in front of an apartment building and he pulls out a live cricket. Here, here it is. And then to prove his point that your ears hear what you're trained to listen for, he reached into his pocket and pulled out five quarters and dropped them on the sidewalk and everybody stopped to look. Your ears hear 
what they're trained to look, listen for. Your eyes see what they're trained to look for. And I want you to be so awake and aware, not just to the fact that resurrection happened, but for all the ways it happens. And you see, for, for you and for me, when, when, we're, when we are awake to the, to the ways, who cares what he would do? We can savor what he is doing. That's not always comfortable. What, what Jesus does is not always comfortable. You remember what, what John did when he first saw Jesus? He fell at his feet as though dead. It was frightening. It was confronting. It was uncomfortable. And maybe your life has, has, has been kind of like that guy who said, you know, if mess-ups were push-ups, I'd be ripped. Maybe you feel like that. And, and in those cases, when that describes your life, there are times when Jesus has to be so for you, he's against you. That he has to be so on your side, he opposes you. Kind of like that preacher friend told me that time, and I was whining and complaining. No, it's hard to believe. I was whining and complaining about something going on in my life and ministry. And he goes, he, said, he just said, stop being a jerk, Talbot. I thought somebody's going to say amen. I'm so glad. <laughs> so glad nobody said amen. He said, stop being a jerk. And, and I just realized in, in, in God's hands, that was such a word of grace to me. I needed that. Are you going to be open to the ways that God has to halt you before you'll break yourself? God has to stop you before you'll rush headlong into disaster? Who cares what Jesus would do when we can savor and sometimes even be intimidated by what he is doing? But it's not only those words of, of confrontation, correction, it's also the words of comfort. Do you remember the, that exquisite detail? And then he placed his right hand on me and said, because we all have those times when, when we need that, 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 that tender manifestation of God's love. Sometimes it's a severe manifestation, but we all need those times of tenderness. And, and again, I, I, I think of all those times when I have had seasons of dejection in ministry. And God sent some of you, you didn't know it. And God sent some of you at just the right time to say exactly the right thing. And all of a sudden where there was despair, now there is encouragement and God's the one who's done it. And for you, sometimes it is a word from someone else. Sometimes it's this kind of this undefinable yet unmistakable touch from God himself. Sometimes it's even a word from scripture. We have this thing that we do at, at Good Shepherd Church. They're called uh, word before the world, word before the world, reading prompts. And, 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 and I'm going to give you an, an opportunity in just a minute to, to sign up. And then I got something else to say. But uh, a woman who uh, had signed up for the reading prompts, she sent me this note a, a while back. And, and I just loved it. So I wanted to share it with you. I think it's going to be up on the screen. When I read the Bible in the past... Much of what I read went in one ear and out the other. And I bet some of you are like, yeah. True confessions. I also felt out of place in the small group I attended. I would sit there hoping not to get called on to answer a question. And some of you are like, yep. 
Well, this Sunday, I left church with a renewed spirit. I remembered things y'all teach in the word before the world, and I even learned something new. Reading genealogies, that's in the Bible where it says who gave birth to who, who gave birth to who, who gave birth to who. Before, when I read genealogies before, it was just blah, 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 blah. I love that. I love the honesty. And, and, and because you've, you've done that when you've read genealogies in the Bible, blah, 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 blah. And I didn't understand how it was all connected and the importance of it. Now, I will not forget it or skip over it. I'm embarrassed it took so long for me to grasp things without asking for help. I actually could have asked others who are good at retaining everything they read and are happy to talk about the Bible. Now, I am one of those people. And that hallelujah is right. You go from, ah, blah, 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 blah. Don't call on me. Don't call on me. Now I'm ready to answer questions to help other people understand the scripture better. I love that. And we so, we, we, we believe at this church that, that a message on a Sunday really is only as good as the tool that it provides you afterwards to live it out. And one, one very, it's not easy, it's simple, but challenging tool that we want to give you is you too can sign up for the word before the world emails. And we have the, the web address up on the screen. It's gsumc.org slash email. You can jot that down. And then you go on that page, you go to where it says daily reading prompts, click on it, sign up, and you will join the more than 1,000, way more than 1,000 mailing addresses we have on that already. And tomorrow, I can promise you because it's already been written, tomorrow, You'll have a prompt in your email inbox at 5 a.m. about Luke chapter 7. Because we don't want to say, hey, y'all, just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. No, we want to come alongside you as a guide because we love the Bible because it helps us adore the Savior. Amen. Who, Who cares what Jesus would do? When you can savor what he is doing, and what he is doing is making the people of this church and this community love the scriptures and adore the Savior. So where is it? What is it that Jesus is saying to you, doing in your life now? Is he telling you to get out of that toxic relationship? And you're like, how did he know I was in one? Because it happens every week. Is he telling you to deal with that compulsion that is not only ruining your life, but it's ruining the lives of people who are around you? Is he inviting you this day to stop being so smart and so cynical that you think you know what's best for you better than God does? Or on the other hand, is, is it a touch of comfort? Is, is it today that he wants you to know that depression is not your destiny? That despair is not your calling card? Has he brought you here today to, to let you know, you who think you've gone too far and done too much, has he brought you here today to let you know that you are loved by the living one and there's nothing you can do to prevent it. You're stuck with his love and his love is stuck on you. You can never, never outrun it. Who cares what Jesus would do? We can savor what he is doing. 
It's kind of funny. Eva Peron, back in the 1950s, she was the first lady of Argentina. And she was quite popular, way more popular than her husband, Juan Peron, the president of, of Argentina. But Eva Peron died young. She died of cancer. And I believe it was cancer. I know she died young. And you know what the Argentinians did with her body? They, they felt like if they kept her corpse in Argentina, it would incite a revolution. And so they transported her body to Italy for safekeeping. Well, isn't it interesting that Jesus' opponents thought that his body would spark a revolution as well? And that's why they put some guards by the tomb to protect it. But the good news is the taxpayers' money, not much of their money got wasted because they only worked from Friday evening to Sunday morning. <laughs> and it wasn't Jesus' body that sparked a revolution. It was his empty tomb that incited this ongoing resurrection that's as true today as it was on that very first Easter. Who cares what Jesus would do? And we can savor what he is doing. Let's pray. So God, thank you that you truly are all around us, surrounding us, annoying us, and adoring us, sometimes at the same time. Fill the people of Good Shepherd with that awareness and that delight today. In your name we pray. Amen.